Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Chainsaw Buffet Podcast. We're coming to you from Geek Media Expo Volume 5 uh, in beautiful Franklin, Tennessee, or Nashville. I, I don't know what they call it anymore. Um, it, we are joined by author, um, debonair, businessman, um, <laughs> game designer, Robert Schwab. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, I, I, I'm sure this is... You know, after working on, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and various other games that you've worked on in your illustrious career, I'm sure this ranks up. It is, it is among, it is, it is very near the top. I love talking, so any opportunity I get to talk is fantastic. Well, great. We will, we will, uh, try and give you as much opportunity to talk as we can. Um, let's go ahead and start as far as, you know, we don't want you violating any non-disclosure agreements, but what are some things that you've been working on recently? So for the last uh, year and many months, I have been working on the next incarnation of the Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game uh, with uh, such people as Bruce Cordell and Monty Cook and Mike Merles and Rodney Thompson and so on. It's not name-dropping, just also just me- just mentioning the people who have me throwing words to the page along with me. <laughs> uh, so that's what I've been working on pretty much for the last couple of years. And... Uh, before that, I finished up a novel and worked on the Book of Vile Darkness supplement, which they kind of turned into a movie and sort of, not really my book that they turned into a movie, but yeah. So I've been busy with D&D. Fantastic. Uh, now, as far as D&D Next goes, what are some of the things that you've contributed to? Uh, you know, the thing about the uh, D&D Next is that it is, a, it is a rapid iteration process, so we're all kind of throwing in and working on everything at the same time. Okay. So, for example, I might be working on I might be working on magic items this week, but then again, I might not. Uh, but I've worked on every. I've probably had my fingers on every every bit of that game, just like everybody else has. Okay, so that's that's interesting because I'm not very familiar with the the design process. Obviously, so um, basically, everyone just has a little bit of everything. Then we have a core. We had kind of the approach was. Uh, we had very clear parameters as far as what we were going to design and mm-hmm. the direction we wanted to go. We had we reached out to the community and worked with uh, a lot of the fans and a lot of the enthusiasts uh, for the game, and we modified our direction based on their feedback, which is a public play test. It's been outrageously successful, um, and so we have been building our game kind of in response to their reactions and to their feedback and shifting our design as we've gone. Uh, but you know, for one, for example, one week I might work on a class, or the next week I might work on a batch of spells, and it's constantly evolving as we go. And so we're con- there's, a, there's a lot of refinement that goes on to what we've already designed. For example, we might have had many versions of the fighter, and uh, I may have designed a couple of those versions, and Rodney might have done a couple of those versions, and other people have as well. But the final product will be a fusion of them, a synthesis of, of them all. If that makes sense. Okay. Uh, let me ask, is there one element in particular of that process that you worked on that maybe stands out as something that you're particularly proud of or enjoyed? Um, the, the one thing that I will I would like to claim, but I'm not sure if I can 100% claim it, is, and this is really, really in the weeds, but uh, <laughs> I, I worked on, a, I think it was, I came up with this idea of using hit dice as a vehicle for regaining your hit points. Mm-hmm. And so it's expendable currency that you you throw the dice and you get back so many hit points when you rest. And so as characters get more powerful, they can play longer. And so it kind of shows the growth of your character at, over time. That's an interesting mechanic. That's certainly different from you know healing surges or other right. fixed well, amounts. It's a little it's, more old school. It yeah, like. it was using a term that lives in the game and it's kind of part of the, the, the identity of the game, but hasn't been really used for anything more than just generating your current hit point total. 
and with hit dice as kind of giving them a dual purpose of, hey, you get to generate your hit points, and this is how your, your mechanism for regaining them. It was kind of neat, and so I get to I, I will claim ownership over that with the usual caveats. Okay. Um, now you mentioned the playtest. Uh, if I remember correctly, I believe the final iteration of the public playtest uh, went out a few weeks ago. Right. Um, any word that you can give officially on when we can expect the final product? No, I wish I could. Uh, I don't. When it's, it's ready. <laughs> when it's ready. Uh, we don't want to take the souffle out of the oven yet. Right. It's, it's still um, still rising and things are happening inside. Well, I, I imagine since the, the final version just came out, there's still a lot of things that you guys can probably look at. Right. And, and we're, we're still we're still adjusting to uh, the internal playtest groups and... Um, and pretty much our own kind of revelations as we move as we move through the uh, the design process. Well, we look forward to seeing how that turns out. So, so do I. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, gonna, gonna go ahead and put my. Uh, if anyone's listening, you know, Psyonix soon would be nice. I, I enjoy Psyonix. Yeah, so do I. I'm well, a big fan. Yes, you worked on, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, the Player's Handbook three for fourth edition. I did, and I also worked on the Psyonix Power Book. It was kind of my geek uh, gush. Nerdgasm thing. Yeah, I, I, w- I will go ahead and uh, and just state that you did write some of my favorite books for fourth edition. Uh, you know those as well as uh, I believe it was the Forgotten Realms Player's Guide, which had the Sword Mage and some other things that I frequently enjoyed uh, from that game. But, well, thanks. I did not design the Sword Mage, but uh, I did work on that book. And uh, but thanks. You know what? Uh, that's that's fine because I enjoyed a lot more things other than the sword mage. Actually, let me back up and say, oh, I totally yeah, you know worked on that totally. book, and I'm so grateful for you know. Yeah, yeah sure, but still, I appreciate product. your contributions. To, Thank you so uh, to much that book and to the world of Silex and everything else. Um, goodness, I've gotten this way off track. Um, going back a bit. What would you say in terms of the games you played when you were growing up? What has had some of the biggest impact on your thoughts on game design? So this is going to sound really weird, but um, my mom freaked out about D&D like a lot of moms did in the 80s. Right. And she decided that all of a sudden, because of some crazy guy, which is really kind of very topical right now because I think iOS 9 has a, web, has a video clip of like these crazy guys talking about how toys were satanic in the 80s. Right. <laughs> anyway, so um, she's, she forbid me, and she used the forbid word from playing D&D. And rather than, you know, do the typical good Christian thing, which is burn them in the backyard, uh, she said that you sell them off and, you know, whatever, you can keep the money, but I don't want it in the house. And so I said, okay. Because I was, you know, 13 or whatever, and I'm a good, obedient child, and I, exp- <laughs> I accept the forbid word. At the time, I did at least. Uh, I grew older, but uh, and I, so I got rid of all my D and D books, and I got rid of all the first edition stuff and the basic D and D stuff, and it broke my heart. But as much as that makes me mad about that, even now, many many moons later, it she didn't forbid me from playing other role playing games, and so I got to try all sorts of crazy shit, just like <laughs> Twilight Two Thousand, GURPS, uh, Heroes Unlimited. I get. Let's see. I I played the hell out of Marvel superhero role playing game. I did everything I could, and so by looking at how other games tackled the simulation of the play experience, right, of how things all kind of work and hang together, uh, it taught me. It kind of built a foundation for 
looking outside of my own kind of comfort zone to find other things to do, other ways to resolve problems. And so in a way, even though I know that she's not exactly excited about what I do for a living, uh, you know, I had to thank her for, you know, pushing me in the direction that, that ultimately led me to my career choice. How about that for an answer? I love yeah. it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, of those old games, was there one that was maybe particularly a favorite? So I am a slut for first edition Top Secret. <laughs> All right. It you can't you can't sword fight in that game or fire a shotgun, but everything else about that game was great. The game is so simple in its construction, its presentation. It dispenses with all the nonsense of, you know, you have to do all these crazy. I mean, it's got crazy stuff in it, but it's it's a slick book. It's sixty four pages, something like that, and it's everything you need to play this game. It's wonderful. That was a game that 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 kind of captured my heart. Okay. Weird. Um, I don't play I don't play spy games now, but it was a game for me. That's fantastic. Um, in terms of being sort of a slick, all in one book. Is that something that you try to bring into your work for other role-playing games now, or...? So I, I think that role-playing games in general, uh, especially in the 90s, there was this kind of um, move to make role-playing games be this perfect simulation of what's going on in the world. And in doing so, books just bloated. And we were all, everybody who's worked in the business at all is guilty of contributing to that bloat. Um, and... I own it. I've done it. Uh, Song of Ice and Fire is a big, thick book that's got lots of rules in it, and a lot of other games do, too. Um, but I think that that was more of a reaction to the direction that game design was developing. I think now we live in a time where computer games do it ten times faster and ten times better without having to consult a bunch of tables or have these complex rule systems that sort through. Game design now is kind of shifting more to, towards a minimal style that lets you do the storytelling that we started with, which I think that, you know, five years ago, I would have said, oh, it's all doom and gloom with MMOs taking over everything. Now it's, I find that, that we're at the precipice of something really exciting. I think there are a lot of games are going to be, I think the games that are out there right now are doing a better job of telling story or helping people tell the stories they want to tell and having really cool, intense, dramatic scenes without having to consult table 1-17 or construct these weird simulation programs that you're just going to engage in an exercise of masturbation to figure out <laughs> if your character hits or not. That's a long-winded way of saying yes. I enjoy I enjoyed that answer. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't even know you're telling the Joe question. Not really. No. Think, well, I mean... <clears throat> Are there any other old-school RPGs? Like, we talk a lot about old-school RPGs because we're kind of late they, 90s. They, early. they, they okay, talk a lot they, about yes. I, I didn't, because I was in a similar boat as you were as a child where my parents thought, you know, everything that was not in the Bible was, you know, evil and burn it. And, uh, you know, I didn't start playing D&D until I actually got to college. And by that time, third edition was out. So My sure. dad said I could play if I was careful. If you obviously, <laughs> well, you don't want to summon, you know, Asmodeus or something like that. You never know. You never know when Asmodeus is just going to pop right Pre- out of your Presto Commodius. And if you start burning your your component, your your game components, they might start screaming. Uh, the other game uh, this is probably will, this will, I guess, date me in terms of game uh, geekery. Um, Rollmaster was one of my favorite games. Rollmaster tied with Warhammer Fantasy role playing. 
I liked Rollmaster because it was a huge, crazy, scary game that took you two hours to make a character. And then you could die in 20 seconds. And then you can go through that entire process of making a character of spending two hours again because I was I was interested in girls but they were far beyond me and Rollmaster said I can make a character why would I want to talk to girls so uh, <laughs> but the other game was Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay which was hey here's this perfect fusion of Lovecraftian horror and uh, brutal nasty criticals and get my head cut off and bleed out and there are goblins and there are chaos demons and there are all these things that are 20 times worse than anything that was in D&D book. This game is for me. And so that game became for me for a while, too. Let me ask this. Um, and I'm gonna... Is it dirty? You know, <laughs> I, will yes. come, I, I will come up... It can't be. Uh, we'll, we'll try and come up with something. Dirty. You're the one answering um, the question. You kind of decide. Okay. Um, Good to know. But say we're sitting down to play a game of D&D. Naked, if need be. Um, All right. If I were to be running this game, what are the elements that I need in order to make it enjoyable for everybody else? Because I feel like everyone has a different answer to this question. Um, so uh, that's a really weird and long and tangled question uh, or answer <laughs> that goes to that question. Um, I'm going to sidestep it and tell you a brief anecdote. Please do. So I was at Space City Con in Houston this summer, and I ran uh, some playtest demos for D&D Next. And I was sat down saying, I'm going to run Vault of the Dracolich. It's going to be the thing. It's this published adventure. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do this thing. And all the kids are going to love it, and we're going to have a great time. But then I realized that when I sat down to play that I just didn't really want to run that adventure. At all. Because I didn't want to read, read aloud box text anymore. And I didn't really want to worry about how many exact goblins were in this room. Or how many exact number of orcs were in this room. Or if the plus one sword is over here. And what the DC was to find that sword. Didn't give a shit. <laughs> so what I did instead was I made it up. And I made it up and I didn't tell anybody that I was making it up. I would make, take a few notes and I would sketch out the, the, what was going to happen when. Briefly, I mean, and I'm not talking like exhaustive, you know, outlining notes, but I'm talking like, hey, this hill that this, this town is going to turn into this giant walking monster, and this village that the people are exploring is on the back of this big giant walking monster. And you know what? Nobody complained, and nobody figured out that I hadn't, I was just making it up as I went. I knew the game rules enough that I could put monsters together whatever way I wanted to, and you know, the thing I found was that especially in 3rd and 4th edition, people had their faces kind of down on their character sheets. And they were looking at, what can I do? What does my sheet that I printed out or I've filled out, what does it give me permission to do in the game? Do I have this particular widget that says, I get to take 5 points off my attack roll to increase my damage by 5 points or 10 points if I'm wielding a two-handed weapon? No, nobody looked at their character sheets. They talked to each other. And we explored this weird scene that was conjured up out of my alcohol-induced feverish imagination. <laughs> and we had a great time because it was there was none of that crap that gets in the way. And that was the thing that I realized at that show that I'd kind of forgotten because I do game design for a living is that really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what rule set you bolt onto the stories you're telling, as long as you're telling stories. As long as people are looking at each other and kind of riffing off each other and getting excited about what's happening and feeling awesome and 
you know, and telling those same stories about, do you remember we were at that show and that guy ran that game and whatever? That is what role-playing games are about. And that's where that excitement comes from and builds and, and kind of takes us over. And that's why people keep playing these games. And people don't want to, you know, I mean, use the masturbatory exercise. They don't want to do that. I mean, there are some guys who want to do that. But uh, most people who sit down to play those games just want to have a, a really good time. And they don't really care if the rules help them do that or not. They just want to, they want to have a really good time and they want to tell cool stories and do neat things. And so my job should be facilitating that. I love that answer. I think it's a far better answer than I could hope for. Um, and honestly, some of the best games I've played, we've not rolled a single die. Right. So, yeah. I mean, how many stories have we, you know, do you hear of me? All the time. All the time. Along that same line. As a player, do you have a favorite story from something that you've done in the game? Uh, I can uh, say that I was the party leader, also known in first edition as the caller. Uh, and I led a group through Tomb of Horrors, and we survived without a single character lost. Hail That's it. Hail Satan. <laughs> Jade wow, really, really should have been here for this. First edition really was evil. <laughs> it was, it was. <laughs> Oh. That from from what I've heard, that is a um, that's a good answer. Yeah, I, I don't even know if he did it, but uh, I did. No, 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 really going to call him on. Never, it, no. never, never played Tomb of Horrors. Heard horror stories. It's don't a, want to it, touch it, it. It is a playground for for sadism. I I for heard sadism. that somebody opened the book and four people died. Pretty much. Just like in the house at random. They weren't even in the room at the time. So big spoiler for the kids out there who've never played it. If you go down the first hall, if you, once you figure out which hallway to go down and you make your way to the end of the hallway, there's a big green grinning demon mask. There's a black kind of surface inside. It's dark and you can't, light doesn't pierce it. It's just big and scary. You should go in it. Every one of you should walk right into that black darkness because awesome things happen. <laughs> you know, I can't see a single thing wrong with that logic. I know it. It's 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 completely foolproof. And and the look on your face is as earnest as an expression as I've ever seen on a human being. Oh my goodness, Dylan, you gotta help me out because these answers I... are so good that I am dumbfounded by the end of them. Do I need to take off a shirt? No, maybe, <laughs> maybe that that let's, might help. That might make it worse. Let's not let's not make this weird. Like we've already talked about like the, the concept of a naked D and D game. Yeah, I kind of I kind of punted on that one, didn't I? <laughs> I mean, it was a it was a safe way to go. Listen, I I don't blame you because me and Dylan, that's one thing. If it were you know someone else, anyone else, maybe you know might take somebody up on that. I. I don't know. It's getting hard to concentrate, no matter who is playing. Because you're always worried about, can I use these chairs again? <laughs> the answer we'll is cleanse them enough. <laughs> um, goodness. Um, what are some of your favorite stereotypes? You know, going back to the whole first edition D and D is evil. What are some of your favorite stereotypes from those times? Was there anything that was just particularly outrageous that you heard as a kid? About D and D, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> there was a there was a book called The Tangled Web or something like that. Because um, you know I was just getting into metal at that same time as as, as one does, right? And so I remember looking at this book, and this is after I had offloaded all my D and D books, and my mom was getting kind of crabby about my Shadowrun poster on the wall. Uh, 
she, uh, I remember looking at this book, and I'm completely moving into metal, but I remember <laughs> seeing that Dio was giving the sign of uh, the metal, the metal sign, yeah. right? The, and it was like, this is a sign of Satan. It was like, oh, it's I love you and, you know, sign language, whatever. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. But what was so crazy about that period was that there was like so much hysteria about the satanic conspiracy. You know, it was, I would love to live in that world where that was true. I really would, because it would be so interesting to think that there are these huge, dark, scary specters that are lurking out there that are using Dungeons and Dragons, the one game that's going to prevent you from ever getting laid, right. the one game to keep to, to seduce you and drag you to hell. I mean, really, it's not seducing anybody. No, you know, my my thought, my whole thought, and as many years later was that if Satan was an active agent in role playing games, then really there would be a ritual on page four that would give my fourteen year old self the ability to summon a succubus because I would go to hell willingly at that point. <laughs> but that's not that didn't happen. No matter how many times or how many pages I flipped through, there was no succubus summoning ritual. No matter how many Dio songs you played back. No, I, I listened to all of them, and you know, nothing. Well, in a sense, the uh, people who want that to be true are kind of doing their own sort of fantasy role playing. So. Right, because you know, hey, it's a it's it's a modern age. Whatever I'm, you want. I'm man. a level ten, whatever, protecting uh, you know America from the devil. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! All right, well we're we're running low on time, and I I hate this because I we could we could go at this for a while. Um, but before we let you go, um, are there any organizations charities that you want to shout out? So sh- big shout out to the American American Humane Society. I like myself. I like me some critters. Give them some money and some help. I like it. Um, your website. Uh, robertjschwalb.com All right. Now, the, the, very efficient. Before we let you go, though, is there anything else that you want to say to anyone who might be listening other than Hail Satan? Because you've already done that once. I'm sorry, Mom. It's your fault. <laughs> Seconded. Seconded. Well, Robert, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, it. It's guys. It's been fun. Yeah. <laughs>